0: It's good to be here today. I tell you, I, I'm so, so excited. I've been, I have to admit, um, I've been waiting to preach this sermon to you guys for months now. And I'm so excited that I finally, officially get to do it because in, in the middle of our sermon today and towards the end of today, I'm going to make an announcement that has been, I think, years in the making for our church. And it, it has to do with where God's leading our church. And I, I, I've been. Like I said, I've been sitting on this waiting for everything to get official and finalized up until today. And so you're in for a treat. But more than that, I think the message that that, that God has shown me through this is I think far going to outweigh the announcement. So what if we pray, we ask God to, to open our ears to what he has to show us through his word, and then we get to open our eyes to show what he wants to do in our midst. Yeah? Is that good? God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive, it's breathing, it's active, and that you have prepared us all for such a time as this to receive this message today. To be cha- you've challenged me by this sermon. You challenged me by this word. You challenged me by this story. And God, I pray that uh, it would do the same thing in the hearts of these men and these men and women who are hearing it now. God, we, we open our hearts to you. We make room for you in this space. And that God, you would do what only you can do right now. Pray you to speak through me. I yield myself to you. My only agenda is faithfulness today, See, the only ambition I want to have is to be faithful to your calling and be content with, with where you're leading me and excited about what's to come. God, we pray for this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, again, it's good to see you. Um, I've got a I've got I've got a question for you today. And it may be a question that you're asking yourself at this point in life as well. The question is this. Why are you positioned where you are today? I don't mean in your seats, okay? Right? I know seats in church can be a tricky, kind of delicate subject at times. No, I mean what I mean is, why are you positioned in your life where you are? Why do you have the job you have? Why do you... Why are you studying the field of study that you study? Why do you live where you live? Why do you go to church where you go to church? Why Why are you a part of the family that you're a part of? Now, for some of you, you might be saying, well, I needed money, so I took this job. I needed a place to stay, and I could afford it, so I'm living here. This church was the closest church to my home, so I, I'm coming to church here. Right? I see that hand. That's right. No, why, why, I, I, I didn't get a choice with my family because I just grew up and they were always there. Right? I, I can hear that, but I want to tell you something, and I believe this with all of my heart. In God, there is no chance. According to the book of, according to the word of the Lord, there is no accidents in your life. God has placed you in your job, in your field of study, in this church, even in your family, for a specific purpose. And I believe He's brought you from wherever you started your journey and however it took you to get here, You've brought all of us here to fill this space today for such a time as this. I believe that, that you know, there's there's a, I believe we all face kind of, crucial pivot points in life, right? There's these points. It's, it's like uh, either you do one thing and your life goes one way and you do another, your life goes another. Like it's sports. It, it, it comes down to a, a big play. One big play can change an entire game, right? In the military, they call it D-Day, right? One battle can decide the outcome of an entire in business, maybe it's, it comes down to that one sale that you can make that will completely transform and break out your business. It's these pivot points. And I believe God has brought our church to a pivot point, which means since you're a part of this church, God is bringing your life to a pivot point as well. Because we're not, I, I believe that the reason why we are as a church, as we're, we're I believe we are a church, filled with people that God is bringing together along similar stories to experience similar breakthroughs. Which means, if our church, I believe, is on the edge of a pivot point, then your life is on the edge of a pivot point as well. What that is, I don't have an answer for you, but I know that God wants to show you. And I hope He starts to show you today. And today, we're going to look at a woman whose life The the, the very specific passage we look at is the pivot point of this woman's life. And I've entitled today's sermons for such a time as this because that's literally what we are talking about specifically within this passage. We're in the book of Esther today. We're in the book of Esther chapter 4. And what we're going to see, in you can start in in verses 10. We're going to look at verses 10 through about the end of 16. But what we're going to see is that Esther, the main character in this story, receives a challenge. And I think the challenge that is given to her in Esther chapter 4 is the challenge that I sense Jesus is saying to you and to our church in this coming season. And it's, it's a calling. I believe that the God has, has brought you to our church. God has brought me into your life. God has brought you into my life for a specific purpose. And there's been so many of you in this room that God has spoken life into me and has encouraged me and has challenged me and has inspired me over the years. And I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful for what God has done in my life for each of you. Each of you has played a huge part of getting my family and I where we are today. And I pray that you would be able to experience that through your church family. But I believe that God has a challenge, and I believe He has a purpose and a calling for you. And I believe that that you have such a specific set of skills, a specific talent, a specific you that you bring to the table. But there's nobody else in this world that can fill it. We're going to look at this pivot point in this woman's life. I don't know what you think of when you think of the word... When you hear the phrase, key player in God's plan. Maybe some of you think somebody who's called to full-time vocational ministry. Maybe some of you think of of a prophet. Some of you think of of a missionary. I, 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 I don't know what you think, but I hope that after today, you'll start to think of a key player in God's plan as the man or the woman you see when you look in the mirror. Because each of you is a key player in God's plan of transforming the world. Each of you are. He chose you to be here now, and he's positioned you to rescue the people around you and be a part of shaping the spiritual condition of our city. It's not an accident. God can use whatever motivation He wants to bring you along in the journey. And maybe your motivation was that our church was the closest church to your home. Maybe your motivation was that that paycheck was what, going, what was going to elevate your status. Whatever it is, God can use to show you that His purposes are often so much greater than our initial motivation. So hang tight with me as we look at this woman's pivot point. In life, because I believe you are and I am, all and this church is where Esther is in this situation. Okay, we're in Esther chapter four. We're going to start in verse ten. But before we kind of get to that, I want to give you a little bit of background. What I see is that when I look at when I look out into the world around us, when I look at our church, and when I I see so many similarities to what Esther is working through and living through and going through. Facing in this story. And the first thing I see, the similarity I see between Esther and our world today, is that God's people are in distress. God's people are in distress. Let me give you a little bit of background, okay? It's the year 569, excuse me, 589 BC. Okay? The Jews who are are, are basically exiled from their home country. And there is a group of of Jews who are exiled to Persia. Persia at that time is kind of the major world empire at the time. Okay? It's the most powerful world empire at the time. There's a group of Jews who were exiled to Persia who were allowed to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And there were a, there were large, large, large pockets of Jews that were living in Persia. In fact, Within the capital city, Susa, of the Persian Empire, there were pockets and and and, and neighborhoods of thousands of thousands of Jews. And, and, and due to some political climates and some political clamoring, they were allowed to return back to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. But, just because they were given permission doesn't mean that they all ran. There were actually quite a few, a lot of, of Jews that were reluctant to leave Susa because of the of the safety that the Persian Empire provided. So this is kind of the backdrop of where we kind of see this story in Esther chapter four unfold. Susa is somewhere around the the what is the current day border of Iraq and Iran, if you're familiar with the geography. But that's where we're coming into the story today, where we see Esther. Esther is kind of the main character in this story that we're going to look at today. There's there's quite a few characters, but we're going to focus mainly on on Esther. And, And to give you an understanding of what she's about to face, it's important for you to understand how she got to this point. Okay, so... Um, the king of Persia. The story of Esther goes like this: The king of Persia decided it's time for me to get a new queen, right? For all the single men, this is how it works. Take notes, okay? He decides he wants to get a new queen, so he sends out a decree. And he says, "I'm in the market, ladies, right? And if you are the king of the largest and most powerful empire in the world, you're kind of the most eligible bachelor in the room, right? So what begins is kind of the bachelor Persia." Okay, where all the the most eligible and beautiful single ladies from all throughout the empire clamor to try to become the the queen of Persia. Well, this is where we're kind of introduced to Esther. Esther was an exiled Jewish orphan who was raised by her cousin Mordecai, who was a godly man. So long story short, Esther is chosen... Be the next queen of Persia. Like, doesn't this almost sound like a Disney movie up to this point, right? Like, just like, oh, like the, the the littlest orphan or whatever you want to call it, right? You could almost see it as a Disney movie. But she was chosen as the next queen of Persia, and the king genuinely loved her too. But he had no idea that she was Jewish. Meanwhile. The king's right-hand man, and if this was a Disney movie, he'd probably be some slimy little green dragon, right? Named Haman, was an, an evil, maniacal, kind of ego, insecure egomaniac who plotted to eradicate all of the Jews within the Persian Empire. And there even becomes a kind of a, a interaction between Mordecai and Haman at one point in this story where Mordecai refused... Bow down to him one day on the steps of the king's palace. Again, try to put picture this through the eyes of a Disney movie, and this is how it plays out. And so, this so infuriates Haman that this insecure man manipulated the king to get a to make a royal decree to have the Jews exterminated because he knew that Mordecai was a good Jewish. So God's people are, we're in distress. God's people were in distress, and the word gets out that this is what's about to happen. All right? Now, if you kind of place that within the context of today, there's not any decrees today that, that Christians are about to be exterminated. But I tell you what, the way that things are going just a few miles north of here, it's not too much different. Legally. But even socially and culturally, Christianity is in distress today, isn't it, folks? We are living, and we talked about this before, we're living in an increasingly secular world where the, the, the stranger thing in today's culture is to believe that there is a God that takes care of us, believes in us, and wants to redeem us. The norm is to kind of think the antithesis of those things in today's increasingly secular world. Like God's people are in distress. So, where we are in this story, and where you are in this story, is you are here, Esther is in this story, because God's people are in distress. And then the second thing we see throughout the story is that God's person has been discovered. If you've ever been down, if you've ever been broken, if you've ever been let down or hurt or, or, or just experienced, just let down this in life. This story should encourage you. This short story should encourage you. I want you to consider Esther, by all accounts, had everything in life stacked against her. And she had everything in life stacked against her exiled ethnic minority orphan who is underneath the occupation of the world's strongest at that point empire. But yet, what happens? What happens? Because of her faith, God elevates her to really one of the most powerful positions within this empire. We actually see that she should become even more powerful as we continue on. But of her brokenness, God uses her and he elevates her. So despite our brokenness, despite your brokenness, maybe you've made some wrong choices in life. Maybe you have regrets. Maybe you have brokenness and wounds that you are bringing into this space today. Don't think that 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 at all eliminates you from being used by God. Your circumstances do not determine God's usefulness. I want to say that again. Your circumstances in life, your environment, your family, your career, your choices, do not and do, will not play a, a role in what God can do through you, if you allow it. So, what do we see here in Esther chapter 4? What happens is that Mordecai learns of Haman's plot, and he wrote a letter to Esther who at this point was the queen and had moved to the capital city and lived in the in the royal palace and he wrote a letter to Esther to warn her. Basically said, "Hey, here's what's about to happen." But Esther wrote him a letter back. And that's where we start to pick up, isn't it? That's where we start to pick up in in Esther chapter 4 verse 10. And so this is what this is what it says. Then Esther told that's that's kind of her assistant, to go back and relay this message to Mordecai. That's what it says. All the king's officials and even the people in the provinces know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his golden scepter. So she's just reminding him, look, here's the law that we are underneath. And the king has created this law where he he's basically under permanent do not disturb, right? And I have to admit, some days a do-not disturb law in my in my office, in my in my home would be an amazing thing. is that right, parents? Right? Anyways, let's continue on. So all the king's officials and even the people know. It's not a it's not some kind of hidden law, it's common knowledge. So here's where we are after Golden Scepter. And the king has not called to me to come to him for 30 days. Now we could insert some kind of commentary on healthy marriages there, but I think you should know, husbands, talk to your wives more than once or once. Okay, let's begin there. All right, moving on. So, Hathak gave Esther's message to Mordecai. Verse 13. So Mordecai sent this reply this is what I want us to catch. Verse 13 and 14. This is he. He says, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all other Jews are killed. You keep quiet at a time like this. Deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. You and your relatives will die. This is what I want you who knows perhaps you made queen just in such a time as this. See, this entire situation is kind of a testing of Esther's character, isn't it? This is a, this is she's a true rags to riches story. She could have had every right to tell Mordecai, you know what. I don't need you anymore, buddy. I've got the king. I'm living life good. They feed me grapes. At least that's what I imagine happens to queens most of the time. You just get fed grapes and are fanned with palm fronds, right? At least in my Disney version of of this scenario, that's what happens. But she had every right to do that. But this was a testing of her character. It's very clear that she was a beautiful woman on the outside, but now we're about to see if she was a beautiful person on the inside. Don't we know that that's where God looks first when He looks at us? Isn't that's what God immediately goes to. That's what God examines in us first. Our hearts. I'm reminded of the uh, this. I think what what you're about to see reminds me of the passage in Samuel. Samuel's talking about how God looks at man's heart. How how we are conditioned as, as people. To see things the way we see them, look at how it says in the second half of 1 Samuel 16. It says the Lord doesn't see the things, see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at your heart, and in this situation, going back to Esther 4, God is looking at Esther's heart at this pivot point of her life, whether or not she will disown her past and embrace her Persian future, or she will do what is right. And I love the challenge that Mordecai gives says, What if your entire life has led you to this point, so that what you do will make a difference in more lives than Essentially, Mordecai is challenging her to say, What if you could live for something greater than just yourself? I love that challenge. I love that challenge. So, what happens? What happens? I think it's important that we see, though, what God is looking for in your heart. What is God looking for in your heart? Have you ever asked that question before? What is God looking for when he looks at your heart? I think he's looking for three things. This is kind of a mini sermon within the sermon, okay? All right, God is number 1. He's looking for a teachable heart. God's looking for a teachable heart and someone that he can elevate. Again, Esther could have completely blown off Mordecai, but what you're about to see, and this is a sneak preview of what happens later on in the story, is that she's teachable. Don't ever lose teachability, folks. The moment we begin to think we're the expert is the moment that our hearts start to grow hard. The secret of life is that the cement is always wet. There's always something that we can learn from somebody. God is looking for you to always cultivate a teachable second thing God is looking for. God's looking for a prayerful heart. God's looking for a, a heart that is prayerful. And the example we see is, like I said, this, this the sneak preview is now playing out. If you look at verses 15 and 16 in Esther chapter 4. Look what it says. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and gather together all the Jews of Susa, fast for me. Now, I want to to challenge you to something. The word prayer is not overtly said in this, but there's a word that is associated or implied with prayer. See if you can discover what it is. He says, go into the Jews of Susa and and fast for me. Do not eat and drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in If I must die, I must die. So, what is is that word that we see? The word is fast. So often through scripture, the words prayer and fasting are connected. Because what fasting does is it eliminates something we think is important and carves out room in our life for something that is important. So what, what Esther's asking him to do is, hey, I want you to assemble all of the Jews within this capital city. I want them to pray earnestly on my behalf and fast and, and sacrifice things so that, that, that we could intercede for me and my team and I, we're going to do the exact same thing. Because even though it's against the law, so kids, sometimes it's okay to break the law. Alright? We'll make sure we don't tell the children and the children do that. Okay? Alright, but But here's the thing, is that she has a prayerful heart. The third thing we see is that God is looking for a sacrificial heart. God is looking for a sacrificial heart. And that's what we see at the very end of verse 16, where Esther says, if I die, if I must die, then I must die. Esther was willing to risk it sake of others she was willing to lay it out all on the line for the sake of thousands and thousands of people that God loves that's what God is looking for in your heart do you have a sacrificial heart do you have a heart that that says, God, I'll do whatever it takes so that people far from God could discover life in Christ. And maybe you can't honestly say that right now. You know what? Great. Honesty is where God can begin to do His work. If you say, Br- Pastor Brad, I'm just not willing to sacrifice anything right now for people who don't know Jesus. God can begin to use that. Allow him to start to do a work in you. But he did a work in Esther, didn't he? Because she said, you know what? If I must die, then I must die. Because I have to do this for the benefit of other people. So she risks it all. She risks it all. So what do we see? The third thing we see in this story is that God's power is put on display. So Esther asks for the entire pocket of Jews within this empire to pray for her. She prays, she fasts, she risks it all. So she enters the room, story goes, she enters into the king's palace, uninvited, interrupting whatever kind of meetings and things are going on. And in this Disney movie, there comes this point where the king could say, that's my wife, I've got to kill her. Or he spares her. And the story goes that he spared her and he listened to her. And not only did he listen to Esther, he had compassion for what she was saying. And he ends up sparing the Jews. And, 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 and then as the story goes, she actually the, the tables completely turn on Haman, and he was actually eventually executed in the very gallows he had constructed for Mordecai to be hung. Right again. He, he, writing movies is not very hard. Just open the Bible. There's amazing stories in it, right? And his power is on display. His plans were carried out. Here's the interesting thing: is that as you read through this, you, as you read through Esther, you don't see a lot of God explicitly talked about through this. But God's there. He's in the story. So often, sometimes we... I'm getting ahead of myself. God's plans were carried out. And I believe that the whole course of your life, and I know what this sounds like, but I believe this with 100% of my heart, and I'm going to say it unapologetically today. Are you ready? I believe the entire course of your life has brought you to today. God knew you would be interested in the things of God and be a part of New Heights Church at this time. This exciting, this growing time in the life of our church. God has been doing something, I don't know if you can see it, but what is happening within our church, within you, within us, is is exciting and it's not normal. God is birthing something new and exciting and abnormal from what's happening, you know, with the majority of churches in the world today are in a plateau or in decline, and our church is growing, that means our church is kind of the exception, folks, you're part of an exceptional church, and that makes me an exceptional pastor, alright, I'll I'll look for my t-shirt next week that says exceptional pastor, okay, please don't wear those, I'd wear it, okay, but I believe the entire course of your life has led you here today. For such a time as this, you know, our church is about to enter its fifth year of ministry. It's amazing. It's amazing, Carol, that we've gotten to this point. You know, there's some days I don't know how we've lasted a year. Here we are in returning five as a church, folks. You're not part of a baby church anymore, part of a church that, that God is maturing and growing and strengthening. And he's using you to do it. But I, I I have with more certainty today than I've ever had in the five years of certainty of our church, know that God has called our church to be based out of and serve and reach the people of the Shaitan district. I have more certainty of that today than I have ever had in my life. He wants us, this is where he wants us to call our churches home. I think here's why. Sha Tin, I'm sure you know this, Sha Tin is the largest populated district in all of Hong Kong. Almost 10% of the entire city live within this district. Of those 690,000 plus people, according to the last census a couple years ago, almost 655,000 people in this district don't know Jesus. 95% of our neighbors, folks. It's 9 out of every 10 people that you see on the train. 9 out of every 10 people that whenever you get in line in front of to go eat after church is over. I can't be okay with that. I can't be okay with that. You know what the interesting thing is? Is that God has positioned our church for such... Is this? Let me just give you two examples. Okay. Do you know what the two fastest growing segments within this district are? English speakers and Mandarin speakers. Those are the two fastest and largest growing segments within this largest district in all of Hong Kong. And I, I, I've said it. From day one, I want our church to put our hands on what God has put his hands on. And I think for whatever reason, it could be the number of university students. It could be just this is where more affordable housing is for families. It could be for the growing number of of international English-speaking schools, therefore having an influx of educators coming into this area. For whatever reason, these and then with just everything that's happening across the border in China and just with the more affordable housing for migrants and also just mainland investors moving to Hong Kong. For whatever reason, those are the two largest segments of people that are coming into our neighborhood. Within a 30 to 40 minute commute of our location currently, of Sek Moon Station, there are 400,000 people that our church is positioned to reach today. I'm just telling you, one day our church is going to plant a Mandarin-speaking church. It's going to happen. I don't know when, I don't know how. We'll figure that out. If if that's the passion of yours, come please talk to me. But today, there are 400,000 people that can receive the gospel from me. And I know zero Mandarin. Other than... Soi. Soi. Right? My, anyway, my, my four-year-old tries to teach me, and I butchered it, I know. But um, my four-year-old tries to teach me Mandarin. He gets Okay? But given where we are today, 400,000 people in the world, it's growing. Up. It's growing. Up. But if you look at kind of our current issues, the current issues that our church has, what are kind of the limitations that we have? Obviously, 400,000 people cannot fit inside 1,800 square feet, right? So the issues we kind of have right now with our church, our current location issues is our size, our capacity, kind of maybe even the name recognition of, of where we currently meet, and just practically the cost of rent in a facility like this. I believe that for such time as this, God is calling our church to move to a new location. And believe it or not, God has provided us a home. God is, like I said, I've been I've been waiting to to give this announcement until everything got finalized and it finally has been finalized so I can finally tell you. For months and months and months now, we've been in negotiations to try to figure out. Where it is that God wants us to be because just the, the size constraints, the limitations on this space are that this space can really maximum capacity hold 70 people, and that's with us on top of each other, right? Like having double-decker seating, right? Having you just your spouse sit on your lap. And the air conditioner works great, but I don't think it works that. Great. But that's the amount of people it would take, just with given metrics and our current giving rates, that we would be able to fully, functionally, autonomously support our selfless church. And just given the real estate market in Hong Kong, this is the same challenge that every church in this city faces with a permanent location. So, we felt like for a while God is starting to call us out. But then I can hear the question, but Brad, you just said that we're in exactly the right place to meet the needs and meet and reach growing segment of people within this district. And you can't ask for a better location, Brad. We're on top of the MTO. I know. I know all these things. But what if I was to tell you that the space that God has provided for us, number one, provides name recognition so that people know when we say this is where we're going to meet, people know it a whole lot faster and a whole lot more quicker than King's Wing Plaza, right? What if I was to tell you that the seating capacity of that new space would be able to to um, be able to house us now and be able to facilitate growth of us exponentially growing this church, and it would provide space for us to properly do a children's ministry, a preschool ministry, as we grow even more age-specific spaces, and What if I was to tell you that the monthly fees, monthly costs associated with renting the space are significantly less than what we're paying right now, which would allow us to dream a little bit more for future ministry. Give us more future resources to say, God, what do you want us to put this in? What ministries do you want us to start? So that whenever he does tell us it's time for us to empower people to start a Mandarin-speaking church or whatever that would look like, we would have the, the, the financial freedom and resources to be able to, to walk alongside that, that, that baby congregation. What if I told you that you could see that location from where you're sitting right now? I'd like everybody just to take a look out the window to your left. And just right there before the tree, Beginning in December, our church is going to move to International Christian School, right? We're going to be able to rent. What we've negotiated and coordinated is we are renting the chapel, classrooms, and other spaces so that we can provide a space for our church to grow and reach the 400,000. Folks, I can't tell you how God threw it up, but He just did. He just did. And for years, we just we thought, what if we were to move there? And it just never was able to work out. There was other people meeting there, but but as we start to grow, as God brought that spring season into our church, the doors started to open, conversations began, and 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 God has brought it together with us for such a time as this. Now I'll begin to lay out more specifics for us um, in a couple weeks. I will not be here next week. Uh, Dwight has gracefully and graciously uh, said he, he's going to be a guest speaker for us. For three years I've tried to sign up for the Hong Kong Cyclothon and I would not be denied this year so next next Sunday my family and I won't be here. I'll be biking, I'll be riding my bike across the Singma Bridge the happiest white guy in all of Hong Kong because I finally get to do it. But on the 21st, Mark is going to come and give us an amazing, powerful word. And on the 28th, I'll come back, I'll be here, and we'll start to talk about our future. We'll start to talk about and dream together about what our church can do to serve, bless, and reach all 655,000. All 400,000 of you, God's position to reach today. It's not an accident that you're here at this time. You can get to be a part of building something great. Building something that people, it just won't make sense. I've had people tell me, I've had people who I have seen as mentors in this city who said, now, don't ever expect that church out there in Shatin that you're looking to build, to start to get any bigger than this. He's like, if you're looking to start a megachurch, don't do it right there. And I have just the type of personality that is, if you tell me it can't be done, I'm going to do it. I'm telling you folks, I, I, I am not going to believe the lie that you cannot grow a healthy, vibrant, influential, life-giving, community-transforming church anywhere north of the island. I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. Whenever you tell me it can't be done, you're telling me I'm going to limit what God can do. And I'm not one to ever limit what God can do. Look what God did through an asylum-seeking orphan. Because she took the risk she laid it out on the line when she entered the room thousands of lives were saved imagine dream with me for a little bit what God can do with us it's going to take all of us we all need to come into the room Come to the table. Come together in the circle. Prayerful hearts. What's the 2nd You're just paying attention to God. God requires what? A prayerful heart. A teachable heart. And what? A sacrificial heart. Man, you guys are good today. I must be preaching good. You're paying attention. Right? Can you tell I'm excited? Right? I'm figuring out how we can build a zip line from here to there for our first ever Sunday. Right? I don't think Jerry would approve it. Again, dream with me. But anyways, folks, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take all of us in this room to come together with teachable hearts, with prayerful hearts, with sacrificial hearts. And together, we'll get to transform a school into a place where people meet God. That through your sacrifice, through your giving, through your service, through your invitation, through our outreach, that this entire district will start to change. And can you imagine, folks, just dream with me for a second, what would happen to this city if 400,000 people all of a sudden started to see hope? Because isn't hope something that's in extreme short supply right now in our city? I mean, if you were to ask the average Hong Kong person, how much hope for the future do you have? The average Hong Kong citizen is going to say, not much. When most Hong Kong people, when most of our neighbors, when most of the 690,000 people who live within and around us, look at their future, look at what's in front of them, look at what could be. The word hope is not the first word that comes to mind. But isn't that the thing that Jesus offers us? That is a message that can transform a city. That it's not governments that bring us hope. That it's not even democracy that brings us hope. We don't have a vote in Jesus, do we? I can tell him how I feel. But you know what he tells me most of the time whenever I tell him that? tough. Righteously, a lot of times when I complain and I say, I don't like that, I don't want to do that, which is honestly what a lot of democracy is, right? Jesus says lovingly to me, I don't care, Brad. That's not my plan. You know what? I think the challenge that Mordecai spoke to Esther is, I think, the same challenge Jesus is speaking to us today. Can we pull up verse 14 real quick? Look at this challenge. And this is, I believe, what Jesus is saying to you and to me today. He's saying, New Heights Church, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief People of Hong Kong will arise, but it will arise from some other place. I don't want, if if it's up to me, I don't want Jesus to have to look for another church, right, folks? I don't want Jesus to have to look for another church. Who knows? Perhaps God has placed this calling on us for such a time as this. Who wants to change the world? Folks, God is elevating us and bringing us into a new season. I need you to come with me. I need you to come with us. Who's with us?